A long time ago, our people were involved in strife and warfare among themselves. There was uh, discontent, there was disunity among the leaders. Uh, it, it got so bad that some of the nations feared to walk in the woods by themselves because uh, even they would be uh, scared out of their uh, senses by the ruffle of the leaves. Even a mouse running across the, the ground would scare them because they didn't know that uh, at any time an enemy might jump from behind the tree and, and attack them and, and uh, kill them or anything like that. So the nations were all edgy and they were fighting with each other. And uh, this was contrary to the original uh, religion that was handed to them by the Creator. And it was contrary to everything that they stood for. So a new, a new uh, thing had to come to the Indian people. And it came in the form of the Ganawida, who was the son of the Creator, who came back to renew the Indians' faith in the, in the uh, Creator. And uh, he started in the Mohawk country. And he told the, the Indians of the Mohawk Nation, who were known as the Flint people, they reside along the St. Lawrence River. And in that area, they had controlled the entire Mohawk Valley and the Adirondack Mountains and all these other uh, areas up there. And he told them that he was the Ganawida, and he was the son of the Creator, and uh, that he was here to, to give the Indian nations a message of peace and to unite them in brotherhood, that they would uh, be able to walk into the woods, that they would not fear the ruffle of the leaves, and that they're, uh, they, they would live in peace forever. And uh, he gave them the laws that formed the Iroquois Confederacy. He gave them the great constitution of peace. The Ganawida told the, the nations that they would have to bury all their weapons of war and they would have to live in peace with each other. He gave them specific laws for everything that concerned Indian life. And uh, the, the document is marvelous. It's, uh, it's a masterpiece. It is said word by word at our great councils, the councils of, of the Six Nations, he told the Mohawk Nation, who, who were the ones he first visited, that he had a dream that an Indian was to come from the south and uh, he was to meet with him. And his name would be Hayantwata, which means in the Anadaga language, he who comes. Uh, and Diganawida said that he would surely be coming. There was truly a man by this name, Hayantwata, and he lived in the village of the Anadagas. He knew nothing of the Ganawida. And uh, one night he had a dream in the Anadaga village. He said, a great man is in the north, and I dreamt that I was destined to meet him, that together the two of us would form the great uh, peace that would restore uh, peace and harmony and brotherhood to all our nations. The Anadagas didn't believe him because they said that that there was, they were at war so long that it was difficult to even imagine that peace could be established again. Hiawatha, as he's commonly called by Longfellow and others, uh, told them that this was not so. That he told them that he would have to leave, but he neglected to leave, and several months went by, and the Ganawida stayed with the Confederacy people waiting for the man to come. And then one of the aged women, the clan mother, 
had the same dream that Hoyantwatha had. And she said, he must leave. They called the council. They said, he must go. But Hoyantwatha's wife was dead, and he had seven daughters whom he loved very dearly. And that was all he had left in the, in the world. And he, he couldn't see leaving them. And he told the people, he told his clan mother and his clan that uh, he wanted to stay there to be with them. So there was a man who had powers that were evil powers, and his name was Osino. And this man cast a spell upon the daughters, and one by one they, they fell dead, one right after the other. And uh, some of the, uh, the clan members suspected treachery, and toward the last, the last remaining daughter they found this Osino. He had, uh, trans he had turned himself into an owl, and he was singing a death chant near the lodge of the last daughter. And uh, they killed him, but the daughter died. So Hiawatha had no nothing to bind him there with the Anadaga nation. No one came to mourn for the death of his daughters. They said that the grief of Hiawatha was so great that when he left the Anadaga country, he was in, his mind was, was in a fog, and he wandered away. He said it was so, he was so sad, and there was nobody there to console him, that as he left the village, the sky grew black, and thunder was heard, and a terrible storm came. But he continued on his way. He was wandering aimlessly. He went into the territory of the Mucklen people, or the Oneidas. Then he went to the, uh, then from there to the Cayuga nation. And in each village, it was the custom that when an Indian visitor or an uh, ambassador came among their people, if he was not the enemy, that he should uh, sit in the outer lodge and he should uh, kindle a campfire. And this would be a sign that he was in peace. If he was at war, he would just rush the village and, and uh, start his war in the village. But uh, Hiawatha went and he observed the lodge as it was sitting, it set all by itself. He went inside and he built his fire. But he, his mind was still greatly uh, troubled and he, he was, uh, his heart was very sad. He built a fire and uh, as he sat looking into the flames, he thought to himself that it's, it's terrible that one man should suffer so greatly and uh, surely that uh, there must be some answer to it someplace. And he said that if he himself ever found a person that was in such a great grief, that he would console them. And he said he would use small seashells, which were the first wampum that the Confederacy had, and he would put words into these shells that would uh, console them and that would uh, allow them to uh, uh, get back to their right senses and remove the grief from their heart. And as he was thinking these things, he was waiting for somebody to come to the, the lodge to, to ask him to come into the village. And uh, the chief of this village was very skeptical, and he sent a couple of the scouts to sneak up on the lodge. And there he seen this great man sitting there, talking to himself into the fire, telling that he had lost all his, his uh, worldly possessions, all his uh, loved ones and everything, and he was by himself. And he had a mission to fulfill, to go up north, but he was very, very perturbed, and he wanted uh, to know whether or not uh, some Indian would listen to him 
so that he could relate to them his troubles and maybe in talking about it uh, would console his heart. It was also the custom that when a, when a person of a royal family, of a chieftain and so forth, of the chieftain's stock, would come into a village, the local council would sit together and they would invite him to give his views on whatever subject they were discussing. So the scouts went back and told the chief what they had observed. And they told, and the chief said, invite this great man in and we will let him sit in council with us. So the, he sat in council with them for three days and they never asked him to speak. They never told him, uh, they were telling him what their troubles were, was, but they never asked him to give his views. So he felt that that wasn't the place that he should be at. So he left and he wandered again aimlessly and he came to the next village and so on and it was repetitious. Finally, he was in the last village and uh, the, the uh, scouts from that village reported that there were uh, warriors coming and that they were Mohawks and uh, they had a, a great man with them. And he was a very handsome commanding man and he called himself the Ganawida. When Hiawatha heard this news as it was delivered to the chiefs, he was very excited and he went and met him. The first act that the Ganawida had given was to try to console his mind so that they could uh, think reasonably and and they could uh, continue with this great peace pact. The Ganawida gave words to him through these strings of wampum. And these are the same condolence words that are still held in our religious ceremonies today. They are the words that are given to the bereaved at the time of death of one of the chiefs. They use them word for word today. Well, as a result of Hiawatha feeling much better, as a result of uh, the consolation that was offered him, his mind was again free. And so he sat to, to uh, get together to seriously plan this great confederacy. So the two of them went, went from tribe to tribe, from, from uh, village to village, talking peace and the, the Indians were quite skeptical over them because they, they didn't they thought there was some trickery some art, uh, act of trickery behind the whole thing so they put the Ganawida to test a few times and he proved to be uh, the right man so it took five years for the two of them to go from place to place to speak of peace and finally they agreed to sit in a council and to set up this peace and sitting in the council with the Anadaga Nation, with the Senecas, the Oneidas, the Cayugas, and the Mohawk. They were the original five nations. At this uh, council, it was uh, the Anadagas were reluctant to grasp hold of this great peace law because they were very terrified over one man who was so powerful in witchcraft and sorcery that uh, they trembled at to think what he might do. He had controlled the Anadagas for years and other nations were afraid of him. He could command the birds and, and everything to come to him and he could do much evil to whole villages. And this man was named Tudadahu. The Ganawida told Hiawatha that, that he was the only stumbling block that was left in the formation of this great uh, peace league. That they would have to ease his mind and they would have to uh, break his evil power. So they, they all agreed that they would go to his village and they would perform certain things 
dances and sing certain songs that would have great power, that would uh, uh, make him uh, uh, be a peaceful man again. They went to the village, and after many trials, they finally convinced him that he should uh, be at peace. And uh, again, Hoyantwatha was sent to uh, comb the hair, which they claimed contained living serpents that intertwined the, the hair of Tudadahu. Comb the hair and the serpents away from him and bring him back uh, to normal again. They said his body was crooked in seven places. The Ganawida said, now that they had converted this man, that they would give him a very responsible position in this confederacy, and he would be the fire keeper. The Anadaga nation would be the central fire, which would be like the capital of the United States is, and there all business would be transacted at this place. The Iroquois confederacy went out preaching peace. They subdued all the nations that had been warlike. Some they subdued with words, and others uh, they just they just uh, had to to fight because after three warnings they they finally agreed that the only way they could subdue them was to uh, to uh, fight them and bring them back into the peace. Many nations were dissolved as a result of this. The power of the Confederacy was so great that they soon had control over all the Indian tribes and nations from from. Uh, the Algonquins in the north, down to the Cumberland River in the south, from the Atlantic seaboard to the Mississippi River. This confederacy was established very strongly. And when the white man first came to this country, they found a mighty government had existed. It was called the Iroquois Confederacy. It was a confederacy for peace. They found that in this government was a form of democracy, which was unknown in the world at that time. This form of democracy was something different to them. It was new and it was very inspiring. They saw that it worked, that it, that it was a great thing. And soon ambassadors from Holland, from France, from other countries came to the Confederacy to ask the workings of this government. And then the settlers, as they first came here, at first told the Iroquois uh, Confederacy they were here to escape religious persecution in England. They told the, the Confederacy chiefs that uh, at, at the first, at the beginning, that they were very interested in the, this great government that the Iroquois Confederacy had at that time. And they were, they were very uh, curious about the, the, uh, the clan mother or the women who had great power over these chiefs. This was woman suffrage that was unknown over there. So they, were, they wanted to know all about the Confederacy laws and everything, and the chiefs told them that they would be glad to uh, sit in council with them and, and tell them the workings of this government. The settlers told them in, in the beginning that they came from, that they came from England and that there was a great king whose power was so great that no people could resist him. They said he was as strong as the, as the morning sun and that what he said was good and everything he said was good. And they said that uh, they would want the Confederacy chiefs to meet this great king 
that everything that he commanded them to do, he would also probably want the, the, the Indian nations to uh, adhere to. So the Indians agreed to meet with him, and many of them went back on the sh sailing ships and went over to England, and they met him. And they saw that he sat on this great throne, and they saw that he truly was a great man. He had many, many people there with him, and everybody looked to him that he was a king. They had never seen such power given to one person. So they thought that truly that they would wish to be his, uh, his friends and brothers and so forth. And they came back. And they told the other nations all about it. But after a while, the settlers were very discouraged over the way that England was forcing taxes upon them. They were very, they were very disenchanted with the, the whip that England was, uh, was uh, subjecting uh, the settlers and the colonists to. And they found out that the settlers were trying to break free from England. And they again approached the Confederacy and told them that the war clouds were threatening and that they would want the Indians to help them out. And the Confederacy people said, this is very strange to us. First you tell us that this man, is, this king is so great that no, no people could resist him. And now you tell us many bad things about him. You told us that he was our father as well as yours. And now you tell us that you are going to fight with him. They said, this doesn't sound right to us. So they held a council, and many of them chose to remain neutral because they didn't want to get involved with him. At the same time, the British came, and they met with the, with these, with the Confederacy chiefs, and the British said, we'll give you 10 pounds of gold for every fighting man that you give us, and we will defeat these colonists because they are the unruly child. They said, when we had shaken them, they will submit. The Confederacy was very confused, like I said. But they told, told them that the, 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 British, the, the only desire the British wanted was to, uh, was to have the Confederacy defeat the colonists. Washington, General George Washington, in his interview with the Confederacy, had told them that we can't offer you 10 pounds of gold for every fighting man because we're poor, but we will guarantee you forever the right to your lands, and you will be protected by us against any assimilation or encroachment whatsoever. For as long as the grass grows green and the rivers run free and the sun sets in the west. This appealed to the Indian heart, and also the Indians asked them what government they would uh, wish to set up should they defeat the British. And the, and the Oneidas and the Tuscarora Nation were very uh, pleased to hear that they would pattern their new government after the great Confederacy law of peace, which was the Iroquois government. So the Oneidas and the Tuscaroras, to a fighting man, fought on the side of the colonists. The Senecas remained neutral for a while, but soon went and uh, got involved in skirmishes and uh, became somewhat affiliated with the British. Uh, the Mohawks were undecided, but many of them went over into Canada and fought with the British. And there, the Iroquois people were divided. Many had logic on both sides. Their reasoning, there was logic on both sides. It was difficult. It was a, a very trying time for the Confederacy. When the war finally ended in independence, Washington 
had ignored the Confederacy for a few years. The Continental Congress was formed in 1779. And in 1784, the, the, the Confederacy chiefs had waited all this time for Washington to enter into this great treaty where it would guarantee that their land would not be encroached upon. They felt the growing pains of these settlers. They, they saw that their land was being invaded slowly, uh, slowly, and that soon they would take all of these uh, valuable uh, lands that they had in central New York. So they thought that they should send a delegation to uh, visit with Washington and remind him of his great promise to them. When they got at the meeting with Washington, he agreed that it's true that they that he had offered to protect them in the land, and so they they agreed to a a treaty, and this treaty was known as the Treaty of Fort Stanwix. It was made in October twenty second, seventeen eighty four, where the city of Rome, New York, now stands. In this treaty, Washington said it would only be a treaty with the Oneidas and the Tuscarora Nation, and along with their other nations that had come in as uh, wards of the Oneida and Tuscaroras, which were the Stockbridge and Brotherton Indians. And uh, he said as far as the other nations are concerned, they hadn't assisted the colonists, so he wished to leave them out of the treaty. And the Oneidas replied, and the Tuscaroras almost in unison, that this was not the original agreement. He said, before the war started, you yourself had confused us. Now... They said, we came, and, and, and although we didn't all agree, they said, we still fought, and we're still Iroquois people. Let us continue with the original agreement that we had made previous to the war. And for the Sen as far as the Senecas were concerned, forgive them. Let's continue with the original agreement. Washington said, all right. But in the treaty of Fort Stanwix, the Seneca nation was... Uh, they were forced to surrender the prisoners that had been taking, taken during the war. And the Senecas were put to the test in every way possible. But the treaty did, uh, did become, the treaty was accepted and was signed by the Senecas and the others. After a few years, Sullivan came into the territory of the Confederacy. He had been there before when they, they uh, went up to... Uh, to meet with uh, Washington and remind him of the original treaty. And uh, they felt that the Indians were again being assimilated. Their land was being taken. There were border wars all over. And they thought they would go back and remind Washington of his great treaty, the Treaty of Peace. And uh, the capital of the United States at that time was in Philadelphia. So the Seneca Nation, who felt very perturbed over the, the the past events, they felt that Washington had reneged in his treaties. He, his armies, under his direction, had uh, entered the country of the Cayugas and the Oneidas and the Anadagas. They had destroyed the villages of the women, old men, and children who were left there while the hunters went to uh, to secure food in in Ohio and Pennsylvania. And uh, the army waited until the hunters were gone, and they went into the village, and there they. Uh, they attacked the, the villages and murdered the, the women, and they bayoneted the uh, the children, and uh, they put them to death, and whole villages were exterminated. The corn and the granaries that the, the Iroquois people had were put, they were burnt, 
and they, they were destroyed. And the Confederacy said, let's go to war, let's fight. But, uh, but the, uh, the Seneca said no, and uh, they had a man there who was very influential, he was a great orator, his name was Corn Planter. And he was a man of peace, and he believed that the white man would eventually live up to these treaties. He had been in England, and he had known, he had known about this great king. And he said, let us give the, them another chance. And so they, in this delegation that went in 1790 and reminded Washington of his promise, a portion of the speech that was delivered at that time by Corn Planter uh, goes something like this. He said, Father, the voice of the Seneca Nation speaks to you, the great counselor in whose hearts the wise men of the thirteen fires have placed their wisdom. It may be that we are weak in your eyes, and we therefore entreat you to hearken with attention, for we are about to speak of things which are to us very important. When your army entered the country of the six nations, they called you the town destroyer, and to this day when your name is heard, our women look behind them and turn pale, and our children cling close to the necks of their mothers. Our counselors and warriors are men and cannot be afraid but their hearts are grieved with the fears of our women and children and desire that it may be buried so deep as to be heard no more. When you gave us peace, we called you Father. And so long as our land shall remain, your beloved name will live in the heart of every Seneca. Father, we mean to open our hearts before you. They delivered the message. They delivered the, uh, the, the tale they delivered the stories of the uh, the crimes and the wars that were being uh, perpetrated against them uh, by Washington's army and so forth. And Washington was very, very interested. And he listened to them, and he realized that he had made a grave mistake, that he had reneged indeed on the original peace treaty. So he consented to make a new treaty, which is known among our people as the Canandaigua Treaty of November the 11th, 1794. There the chiefs again went to meet with Washington and they made this treaty at the present site of, of Canandaigua, New York. They met with him in council and they drew up the, the agreement. And in this treaty, Washington again agreed that the uh, government would forever protect the Six Nations that the land that they now lived upon would be secured to them. This was reaffirmed, and that the United States would always uh, look to them as allies and friends and would uh, see that no one disturbed them. A portion of the treaty reads, The United States acknowledge the lands given to the Seneca Nation and to the rest of the Six Nations, that they should be secured in the peaceful possession of the lands which they now occupy. It goes on and it reads, and the boundary line separating the countries of the United States and the Six Nations shall be as follows. It gives an enormous boundary line. And on the bottom of that article it reads, and the United States shall never claim the same, nor disturb the Seneca Nation, nor any of the Six Nations, for as long as the grass grows green and the rivers run free and the sun sets in the west. Washington signed this treaty. It was ratified by the Senate and, and the United States Congress the same way 
as any foreign treaty is made today. It was a very sacred document. It reaffirmed that the two nations would live side by side in peace. The Senecas went back, and there was indeed peace for ten years more. And then again the growing pains of the settlers began to push our people back. And new treaties were made. The Buffalo Creek Treaty, the Treaty of Big Tree. The, the government uh, realized that the settlers would not sit still and allow the Indians to re remain on their beautiful land. That they wanted to push them beyond the Mississippi River and uh, use their lands. And as they needed them, the Indians would again be pushed further westward. The Indians again wanted to go to war. And little by little, they began to realize that they were outnumbered. That they, they as a result of being at peace, had lost all their arms. They, as a result of having accepted the great peace of the Confederacy, uh, could not resort to uh, violence or war of this type. Cornplanter knew these things, and as he passed away, others came uh, in his footsteps, and they tried to, to preserve the land of our people, what little was left. They tried to preserve their way of life, their customs, their religion, because our government was so unique that there was no such a thing as uh, religious differences. It was a government and religion intertwined. The ceremonies were held in the religious longhouses. The government functioned from the religious longhouse. The longhouse, the religion, and the land were combined. Without the land, there could be no longhouse. Without the religion, there could be no government. Without the government, there could be no religion. It was so intertwined that it could be best described of as a theocracy and our people enjoyed this life but all the treaties have been broken the United States government has set up since that time the Bureau of Indian Affairs whose sole, uh, whose sole uh, reasoning was to destroy the Indian on paper as was quoted by Augustus Porter the first secretary of war who instituted this new Bureau of Indian Affairs Today we are fa faced with termination, and our people are determined to fight this to the bitter end.